Welcome to the EuroClear podcast, Pastime Talking and Teaching History. Today's episode is on the topic of gender and sexuality and queer history. My name is Andreas Saltberger and I'll be your co-host for today as I'm joined by my colleague Evangeline. Hi there, um, as Andreas mentioned, my name is Evangeline and I am currently a trainee at EuroCleo. Um, over the last little while I've been working on organizing and planning the Gender and Sexuality and History webinar series along with a colleague. Um, it is an ongoing webinar series and if you're interested in anything that's talked about during this podcast, please feel free to look for more information about it on our website eurocleo.eu. So to uh, talk more about this topic and tie it all together with our webinar series, we are joined by Claire Hollis, who is Head of History and Classical Civilization at Reigate College in Surrey in England. Claire is also the author of a blog called Fresh Alarms, where she writes on topics of history teaching, including uh, a lot on queer history. We'll talk to her today about her approach to teaching gender and sexuality in the classroom, including the very important issue of finding the right terminology. Now, this topic will also feature in our upcoming webinar series. So if you want to go more in depth on that, we invite you to join us online. So uh, welcome so much, Claire Hollis. You're a teacher in, uh, based in the UK. Uh, but I and I know you have uh, a blog, uh, online blog on on the topic that we are talking about today. But I, I'd like you to please uh, talk a bit about yourself and and what you are doing. That's fine. Yes. Um, so yeah, my name's Claire Hollis. I am currently the head of history at Reigate College, which is a state sixth form college in Surrey, uh, so just south of London. I've been blogging um, since. I think 20, 2018 um, now about this topic um, and so it kind of um, emerges out of some work I've been doing on representation in the history curriculum more generally and I've come to focus specifically on gender and sexuality in the curriculum LGBTQ histories, queer histories, um, etc. So um, I would, I've done some work with groups like the Historical Association, Schools History Project and Hodder Education in the UK on these topics. What what made you uh, become interested in this topic in the first place, if if you don't mind asking? Yeah, that's a topic that I kind of only just occasionally encountered when I was studying history at university. So there wasn't any dedicated study um, on the units I was able to take of gender and sexuality, but I did take a bit of um, a few units on kind of social history and cultural history, uh, where we sort of bumped into gender and sexuality as part of that. But I didn't really start thinking seriously about it until I began teaching uh, and I began to kind of notice that I was finding it a lot more difficult to talk about these themes in history compared to the facility or ease I had to talk about other sort of themes. Um, in my first blog, I kind of talk about this moment where I was sort of like with my students at the National Gallery trying to talk about the Duke of Buckingham and knowing that the language I was using and the words I was using didn't necessarily reflect the historical reality, but also not really knowing what would be a better way of kind of going about it. So that sort of prompted me to kind of think, OK, let's think seriously about this. Let's start doing some reading. Um, how can I potentially approach this more effectively? Just going back to your blog, actually, um, mm. you wrote a very interesting one at the end of January 2021 titled mm. Thinking with Queer History. And from what I gathered from it, it was sort of a follow up to an earlier blog post from 2018. Mm -hmm. um, and that one you kind of took on um, the way in which queer history was taught within classrooms, which 
kind of ties back to what you were mentioning earlier. Could you perhaps talk a bit about the blog post in 2018? What motivated that post and kind of how your views have evolved into the the blog post in 2021? Yeah, no problem. Yeah. So the, the 2018 one was me kind of, it was sort of me doing a bit of a statement of intent. Uh, and sort of setting out kind of where I thought we ought to be perhaps going in this direction. And it, again, it was a bit of a reaction to what I saw as the limitations of my own practice. So I'd been trying to think of ways to approach these topics with my um, History Plus group, um, which is a kind of extracurricular history group on the occasion of LGBT History Month to kind of approach these topics. And I was kind of looking around for resources and not really finding stuff that I thought was was really going to engage with some of the more interesting things. And that might have been because I wasn't looking hard enough. But what I seemed to, what I was noticing was there was a lot of sort of resources out there that really focused on key individuals, but kind of isolated from their contexts. There were quite a lot of very quite simplistic narratives of sort of struggle or kind of like no persecution. There seemed to me to be a bit of a gulf between the kind of resources that were being produced for use in classrooms and the resources that were being and the sort of work and thinking that historians in the field were doing. Mm -hmm. And so I was thinking, okay, is there a way that we can kind of develop some principles for practice in the classroom, develop some resources that might close that gap a little bit more? So that was kind of one of the things I was aiming to do in that blog post a little bit and to sort of share the resources that I had developed that kind of I hoped sort of closed that gap a little bit more. So that was kind of the the main motivation. And, And I think the other thing that was kind of going on there was I was also working in a, in a context where I could see some other history teachers doing some fantastic work with other underrepresented histories in the curriculum. So there were some history teachers doing some amazing stuff with Black British history. There were some history teachers doing some amazing stuff with histories of migration and empire. And I was kind of thinking, well, you know, can we do the same kind of thing for histories of gender and sexuality and queer history? And it would be really valuable if we could. So that was another sort of motivating factor. In terms of how my thinking has changed um, over the kind of the preceding um, period, I mean, at the stage when I was writing in 2018, I'd begun to do some reading around the topic in more depth. And ever since then, I've just read more and more and more and more. So a lot of my thinking on individual periods or individual kind of questions in queer history has kind of expanded as I've read more up-to-date scholarship on it. I think if I compare the two blog posts in general, I'd say the 2018 one, one of the kind of things that I was almost kind of pushing for, my idea of like what the gold standard would be, was, as I described it, treating queer history or histories of gender and sexuality with the same seriousness and rigour as we would bring to any other historical topic. Right. And I still think, you know, that's a good aim to have. But in the interim time, like for, in that other that second blog post, I was actually thinking more about, OK, well, what about what are the distinct elements of queer history as a discipline uh, and how can actually these you know be brought into the classroom and add to our students historical understanding more generally so it was more like it's, it's become become less more about like, trying to kind of create a space where you're treating queer history or history histories of gender and sexuality in the, in the same way as other forms of history and now it's moved on i think in my in my head to kind of okay well let's also take some benefits from the distinctive aspects of that part of the discipline. What do you see as the main benefit in that? Yeah, so I think one the two areas that I find most exciting as a history teacher are the issues around language 
right. and the issues around evidence. I think in terms of the language, the elements that I think people find super problematic, like worries about, am I using the right term? Am I using the right, kind of the right kind of language? Within those challenges, I think there actually lies a huge strength, a huge kind of like, you know, uh, some, some really interesting historical questions that we can bring to our students. And likewise, um, in terms of the evidence, I think the distinctive nature of the archival record for queer history can be so fruitful, can be so kind of like uh, really, really interesting, not just in kind of like, you know, in, in, in itself in terms of the artefacts and objects and documents that students can engage with, but also the kinds of questions that they can engage with about, okay, the types of history that get preserved, the reasons why silences might form about particular histories. And I just think, you know, these elements of queer history are so fundamental to talking about it. And they're kind of questions which students really might not encounter when, when covering like other kind of forms of historical inquiry. So uh, just uh, to make it very sort of concrete, like in a, in a yeah. classroom situation, like mm -hmm. I, I can try to picture myself as a teacher, perhaps you, you can get the feeling that it's a bit of a minefield, right? With yes. this terminology. Yes. What, what, what do you do precisely as a teacher? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, uh, this, I get questions about this more than anything else. So I think uh, teachers got really kind of un unnerved about it. The main thing that I sort of say is as a principal, just making the problem transparent to students is I think the key thing here. I think where teachers find it challenging is the idea that they've got to come into their classroom and sort of like, you know, pronounce to their students, this was this person's identity, you know, when we don't know that's how they would describe themselves. So, you know, they don't want to march into their classroom and say, right, this person in the past was trans or a lesbian or, or bisexual, particularly if you're talking about someone prior to the 20th century where these labels are just not current but also prior to the kind of point where we begin to even view sexuality as matters of identity, et cetera. So th there's a real kind of like nervousness about applying not just kind of terms, but also all the conceptual baggage that comes with those terms mm -hmm. to people of the past. And yeah, and so that's, I think that's a real a challenge that teachers really worry about. Also things like, for example, they're talking about trans histories or histories of gender nonconformity, what pronouns to use, etc. That's another kind of question that I get asked a lot about. So yeah, going back to kind of the key principle, I think, is be open with your students that you are not making a pronouncement and that this pronouncement and the, the ideas you're talking about are contested. So if I go into a classroom and I'm talking about Anlista, I might say to my, to my students, okay, in this lesson, I'm going to call Anlista a lesbian because that's often how historians refer to her. That's how she's often referred to in terms of things like the heritage sector. However, Alistair does not use this term. And we cannot 100% know that Alistair would have used that term if that was available to her. And making that kind of, that notion transparent to students kind of removes the pressure from you because you're not coming in saying being the oracle and saying, this is how this person would have thought and felt and identified. But you're also kind of saying, okay, well, you know, this is, um, this is something that historians argue about. They argue about identity, they argue about words. Isn't that interesting? And that can kind of spark conversations later on. Going, just staying with your kind of a question about kind of how I navigate it as well. There are obviously words that can be used, for example, mollies and molly houses, which were current at the time and were kind of used. Again, I would use those if I have them available and kind of explain their meanings. In the same way I'd explain the meaning of the word like, you know, peasant or Protestant or, you know, that kind of stuff. Obviously, again, those aren't always available. So you occasionally you have to fall back on using modern terminology. But I think 
using modern terminology but making it clear this is kind of potentially problematic or it's debatable that is I think the kind of the key thing as an educator and as somebody who's worked in the field for this long and who has kind of compiled all this archival research, is there, are there any resources that you would suggest to people to go mm. to reference or any things you can, you can kind of draw upon for teachers to use within their classrooms? You yeah, mentioned I, also that you, you, you searched for things back in 2018 and you didn't find a lot. So you, you've obviously made something yourself. And we, yes. We yeah. So, yeah. I mean, I, I, Have you I found did, something now? <laughs> yeah, yeah. So yeah, I mean, I was making my own resources and putting them on the blog there. Uh, in terms of, but as I've sort of searched, I think like um, again, it's um, the thing that has pra- transformed my practice has been just reading. That is, I, I recognise the difficulty in saying that to people because obviously we're busy teachers, we've got a lot going on. So sort of saying, well, read this stack of books. You know, I did it because I was, you know, just I, I was just really fascinated by the topic and I wanted to kind of learn more about it. But not every teacher is going to be in that position. There are a couple of kind of like key sort of texts that I recommend to people. So um, if you're interested in uh, the theory and some of these kind of questions about language etc then Jeffrey Weeks's what is sexual history is like the, the book that I relied upon more than any other that's an amazing book but also like in individual books like Matt Cook's A Gay History of Britain has been really useful to me looking when I was looking at the Weimar Germany stuff Robert Beachy's Gay Berlin again in terms of kind of like general resources there's I've also recommend this to both teachers and students there was a BBC podcast series called You're Dead to Me which is kind of a humorous history kind of thing. But they did do a really amazing um, episode on LGBTQ history, as they called it, with um, Justin Bengry. And that was actually you know, a really good accessible kind of intro to some of the key questions, but also some of the kind of theoretical ideas. So yeah, I, you know, that's something that I've sort of said to my sixth form students, listen to that. But I've also said to teachers, you know, listen to that as well. So yeah, there's no, I, I can't sort of point to a single website or a single kind of like, you know, resource it's a bit obviously it's such a broad area of history and there probably wouldn't be one but yeah brilliant thank you so much claire thank you very much for sharing all your experience uh on on teaching around this but also your your own blog and and what you have been researching so far thank you thank you very much it was great to talk to you